Hello and welcome to this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar will continue the series, Sufficiency in Christ. Today's message is titled, Warfare. He'll consider how Paul combated false teaching in Corinth and how you and I can engage in spiritual warfare in our culture. You can watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives. Just visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Sufficiency in Christ series. And now, Pastor Perry Duggar. Look what Christ has done in your life. It's worth taking an account of that, isn't it? So how are you doing? You keeping up on your praying? Five minutes a day? Can you tell it makes a difference not only in your life? It keeps you pointed Godward. It has, makes a difference in this room. It makes it easier to preach, quite honestly, when the Spirit is here. So we continue our series, Sufficiency in Christ. And I hope that as we've studied each week, we're discovering more and more that our sufficiency is only in Christ. We think that we're independent sometimes of him and self-reliant, but, but we aren't. The title of today's message is Warfare. You open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you have the Bible of, that's available here, it's nine, page 934. Theme verse for this passage is we are human at verse 3, but we don't wage war as humans do. Paul wrote to Corinth to challenge the false teachers and the church members who continued to follow them. You said, well, I thought they repented. Well, we looked and we saw in chapter 7 that many did, but not the entire church. So rebellion still existed in the church. And so there were still attempts to manipulate people to convince them not to follow Paul, but to follow these new, much more impressive leaders. In today's passage, chapters 10 and 11 of 2 Corinthians, Paul defended his authority as an apostle. Apostle meant a representative, so he had some authority. So he's defending his authority over the church in Corinth. And he's confronting the accusations of his opponents. Now, they're called false teachers. In some translations, they're called Judaizers. Now, Judaizers were known for combining what two things? Law and grace, grace, exactly. And if you take some grace and you add some you must do's, what do you do to grace? You nullify it. You destroy it. And yet many of us grew up in churches where we were told salvation's by grace, but you must do this. And we didn't realize at the time that the must do's removed the grace. Now, by grace, there are things we do obeying God, but we do it willingly, not as a condition of being acceptable to God. So these Judaizers, these false teachers, had actually offered a different gospel to the Corinthian church. But see, it was a gospel that some of them really liked because it sounded 
familiar. You know, even some of us, perhaps when you first became saved, someone told you, but you have to do this and this and this, and you have to dress like this and you have to do like this. And, and that felt right. Because you see, pure grace doesn't feel right. Because there are few places we're given something just because. For no reason but the goodness of the giver. And so legalism, law, obeying rules feels right. But it's completely wrong. But you could see how Jews would be easily manipulated to think this is a more spiritual gospel than the one that Paul is teaching you. That's far too easy. Now, this theme of warfare, does that sound too overly aggressive to you? What does it seem unrelated to you? Oh, there was less enthusiasm that time. How about you in the back? I only want to hear from those halfway back or up in the cheap seats. Does it sound overly aggressive? Oh, I like that. I like that. Or unrelated. Okay, well, if it's related, that means I get you to pay attention for the rest of this time. Paul knew he was in a life and death battle for the souls of people. Do you know that you're in a battle? That there is a battle raging around us for our lives, for the lives of people, for our culture. Paul described his adversaries. I'm not going to preach all the way through chapter 11, but I'm just going to highlight a couple of spots in it just for time. Verse 12, he's identifying his adversaries. Chapter 11, verse 12. But I will continue doing what I've always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Are you a Christian? Then you are in a battle. You've been signed up as a soldier, whether you recognize it or not. But it's time to recognize it. This battle is waged on many fronts in our culture. The attack against biblical morality, standards of marriage and sexuality, restricting cultural, you know, if we want to fight against cultural corruption, political corruption, if we want to resist the influence and the onslaught of anti-Christian immoral behaviors in media, in movies, in books, even in schools, and in medicine. If you do any of those things, you will recognize you're in a battle 
because you'll meet resistance and you may even be labeled intolerant, fundamentalist. But as soldiers of Christ, we cannot be constantly in retreat and we cannot be silent. Be aware now that whenever you discuss any of these important spiritual issues, moral issues, biblical issues, and this, even with someone very close to you, someone in your family, a very close friend, you are engaging in battle. Every conversation is a battle. But let's gather some guidelines for waging spiritual warfare. First, we wage spiritual warfare by relying on God. Verse 1. Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. See, that's why a lot, of, a lot of us don't think that we're waging battle unless we're shouting, screaming, getting angry. But Paul starts off by saying, no, no, no. I appeal with the gentleness, with the kindness of Christ. In fact, Ephesians tells us that, that the anger of man never carries out the righteousness of God. How often? Never, never, never. Now, Paul intends to defend himself and assert truth, but not in an angry manner because he wants to display and must display the character of Christ because he doesn't just want to win an argument. Sometimes we enter some conflict and we really are motivated to win this argument. And in every case, we lose the mind and hearts of the people. Paul didn't want to win an argument and lose the souls of the people. He wanted to lead the people back to Christ. See, when we encounter disagreement over, over beliefs in God and in in faith and the Bible and judgment and eternal life, we must gently kindly, never angrily declare God's truth. But do it with personal stories. Do it by asking questions. Questions open people up. Because here's the thing, even if you convince someone of your opinion that doesn't necessarily lead to conversion. Rather, if you ask questions, the questions will open up their minds and hearts for the Holy Spirit to influence them. And they can see it in your life. I mean, before you engage in this discussion, what are you showing in your life? Because your life is screaming louder than any word you can offer. Continue in verse one. Though I realize you think I am timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. See, apparently that's how some of them uh, viewed him or at least that's what they said about him. 
See, there must have, been, must have been all kinds of gossip about him because there's this division happening in the church and there's this group that's trying to talk these people into not supporting him. So they've got to be giving reasons why they would reject Paul. Well, I'm begging you now so that when I come, I won't have to be bold with those who think we act from human motives. See, what they were saying is, this is just Paul's ego. He's selfish. He's self-centered. He wants to get all the credit. He wants to get the following. And Paul's saying, no, those aren't my motivations. See, some of these Corinthians, though, they were questioning Paul's motives, Paul's character, because they had to to justify their rejection and their disrespect. So they had to, they had to hang a label on him. Otherwise, they had no reason to reject him. Verse three, this is when the theme verse. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. See, Paul is acknowledging his humanity, but he asserts that his approach to dealing with this dispute is spiritual. It's not personal. It's not because his feelings are hurt. It's not because he's angry that they're not following him. Because Paul knows who the real enemy is. Who's the enemy? Do y'all really believe that? When you're engaged with someone in some conflict over this moral issue, do you, do you really believe the enemy's Satan behind it? Then why are you, do you act so angry at the person? Now, who, who's, who do I need to be interviewing over here? I don't know if it's Faye or Susan. Which one of y'all? Oh, it's Faye. Okay. But the real enemy is Satan, who had manipulated these people through the words of these false prophets. And Paul knew only the Spirit can defeat the devil. I know I hear sometimes people will quote verses to defeat the devil. And, and maybe, maybe the spirit, if the spirit within you is working, the spirit can defeat the devil. But do y'all remember the sons of Siva in the scripture? You remember that in Acts? Well, they wanted to fight against the demons. And they were quoting all these, you know, they could quote the Bible and quote Paul and quote all these. Well, what the demons did was came out of the person, what'd they do? They beat up these seven brothers. They tore their clothes off of them and they ran them down the road naked. So try taking on Satan by yourself and you will find yourself naked in Malden. But the Spirit of God can defeat them. But be sure you don't get ahead of the Spirit and think you've got the power in yourself. That's what Paul's saying. I'm human. I'm only human. And this is a spiritual battle. And when you're talking to friends, family members about these spiritual issues, you need the Spirit's empowerment. Verse four, we use God's mighty weapons not worldly weapons, not, not, in other words, not arguments 
to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Well, what do you think, what spiritual weapons is he talking about? Say it louder. Yeah, righteousness, but, but give, me some, give me some more. Prayer, the gospel, faith, truth, and more prayer to do battle. See, here's the difference. When you are engaging someone and what you may be saying may be correct, but humanly, you can only work from the outside of a person. And if they're stubborn, they're proud. I mean, people aren't quick to admit they're wrong. Have y'all, have y'all, is that different in your life? And so they'll just fight you just to prove they're not wrong. But what you understand is that the Holy Spirit enters the inside. And the Holy Spirit changes mind and heart. And the person has no way to resist. Because once the Holy Spirit is within, the Spirit reveals truth. And suddenly, you're convinced. It's completely different than when you're in an argument trying to persevere or triumph over someone. The Holy Spirit can bypass pride, can move out of the way of slide stubbornness, out of the way. And so the Holy Spirit can reveal truth within a person from the inside in a way that person cannot resist. Now you wonder why you've been arguing with the same people for decades and getting nowhere? Because it's not the spirit at work. It's you trying to win a power struggle. And it's completely different. Completely different. So here's a question then. Will you stop arguing? Will you start asking questions? And will you most of all what? Pray. And when you're through praying, what do you do? Pray. And when you prayed some more, what do you do? Folks, we haven't started to pray yet in this culture. And if we want things to change in our own lives, in our church, in our community, in our country, how much time you spend in before the Lord. I mean, I'm so proud. And I, can, I, I really believe I can tell the difference that more and more of us are starting the days with five minutes before God. And you know what? More of you are here. Because you know what's happening is you're starting your minds and your lives Godward in the morning. And it keeps you there. Well, let me suggest too, when you wake up in the middle of the night, pray. Instead of worrying, instead of complaining, instead of being upset, if somebody's snoring, don't kick, pray. That may be why, you're, that may be why they're snoring, to wake you up to pray. 
Paul wasn't weak or afraid. Verse six. And after you have been fully, become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. So see what Paul's saying. Paul's not weak and Paul's not afraid to confront. He'd rather the people repent by the spirit on their own. But he's saying, if we arrive and you're still splitting this church, then you'll be dealt with. The persistently rebellious would be dealt with directly. Waging spiritual warfare means that you refuse to retreat. Verse seven. Look at the obvious facts. Those who say they belong to Christ must recognize that we belong to Christ as much as they do. So see, these people were saying, we're, we're Christian, which, which implied he's not. He's not, he doesn't occupy the same status we do. So some of these Corinthians judged Paul inferior. And you know what? According to the Greek standards of speaking, he was inferior. Paul wasn't eloquent. Paul wasn't impressive physically. He wasn't polished in his style of speech. He hadn't mastered the the Greek um, method of communicating rhetoric and logic in speech because Paul, Paul didn't want to try to convert people with his skill in speech or persuasiveness. He wanted to speak simply so that it would be the power of God that converted the people. See, if I, if I can, quote, convert you with my argument or my intimidation or my scaring you or whatever, then I've got to keep you saved. But the power of God has no problem keeping you saved. He didn't have any endorsements or references from these groups of people who respected and admired him. You know, he didn't, he didn't have lots of followers. You know, it, it has amazed me that, that you know, today you need, a, you need a following, right? You need a web presence. And I have this pastor who's kind of slick, this friend, and um, he, he said to me, he said, you don't have any presence on the web. I mean, you don't have any followers. You don't have any likes. You don't, I, mean, you, you, I can't even find you. You don't even have any presence. And this guy, he had it all down. He knew everything. He had likes, followers. He had everything. He knew how, to, he knew how you were supposed to look on those pictures. You know what I'm talking about? You can't just go. I mean, you, you gotta, he, would, he would like take his, his Bible and go. So I thought about taking mine like this. 
But, but you've got to have some shtick. You know what I'm saying? Even the pastors, they got to, you got to, you got to, you got to have it down. And you know, I mean, of course I think that's a bunch of bull, but, but I just said, I said, you know what? My people know me and so does God. And that's enough for me. So it doesn't, I mean, I can't be worried about how many likes I've got or else I'm going to be worried to death. I might say something that'll make one of you mad and you won't like me. I'm not called to make you like me. I'm called to help you know and love God. Verse eight, I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given us by the Lord. See, he didn't get his authority from people is what he's saying. Doesn't matter who endorses him or doesn't endorse him because he was sent by God. And that's where his authority came from. But our authority builds you up. It, it doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. You see, they tried to intimidate him. Don't say those mean things to us. And they accused Paul, see, of using his authority to intimidate them, to try to force them to do something. And he answered that he was using his authority to strengthen their faith, not to dominate them personally. Isn't it interesting that in our culture, if you speak to someone, if you confront about a sin that's, that's in disobedience to God, they just tell you, you're judgmental. You, you, why, why would you say that to me? When what you're doing is you're trying to love this person and clear out some of the things that are keeping them from God. So, so don't get back down by those statements. Say, no, I'm trying to love you because I care more about you being close to God than you liking me. So he answered that he used his influence to strengthen their faith, not to dominate them. In verse nine, I'm not trying to frighten you by my letters. How many letters did he send? Wait a minute, now y'all are just saying every number there is. <laughs> not, not 79, but I'll take that. Now somebody was right. Somebody back there is right. Four, four, first and second Corinthians, but also two others, including the stern one. For some say, Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person, he's weak and his speeches are worthless. Does it surprise y'all how much of this bickering and gossiping is going on here? And, and, According to Greek standards, he wasn't impressive. He wasn't a strong leader. He wasn't a good communicator. And yet his opponents are accusing him of trying to intimidate these Corinthian believers from a distance because up close he's cowardly, he's timid, he's unimpressive, he's unconvincing. So he's just standing back and sending in letters. But Paul's letters 
boldly confronted situations in the church. He didn't do so cruelly to hurt people. He, he, he honestly cared about them and wanted to cause them to repent. But he would also confront them when he arrived in person if they refused to turn. Verse 11. Those people should realize that our actions when we arrive in person will be as forceful as what we say in our letters from far away. Folks, in our culture, we meet resistance if we're standing for anything. Now, I've already told you, there's no place for harshness or anger. But we will meet resistance if we support biblical standards of morality and marriage, relationships, and business. But we must persist humbly but firmly asserting God's opinion in each situation. Are you willing to stand when it costs you something? Because God's wisdom is disappearing from our culture. There used to be some of God's wisdom was part of our institutions what little is left is fast fading. So will you stand firm in the faith? Will you keep a strong grip on what you believe? And say it. But say it gently. Waging spiritual warfare also includes responding to God's calling. Verse 12. Oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But they're only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. You know, that's the wrong measure for ministry. But it's also the wrong measure for life. Because... God has a plan for each one of us. Do you believe that? Do you know what your plan is? You know, I could look back now a long way back and I can see some missteps that I took years ago, even in church planting. You know, back in those days, 30 years ago, there was this movement of church growth conferences and people would pack in and these real successful guys would speak all they were doing this and they were doing that and they were doing all the other. And you know what? Some of us would sit there and we just would leave there thinking we're, we're failures. You say, well, there's, this church is big. Well, it wasn't always big. In fact, in that first year, I told Leanne, give me a year and I'll either find another church job or I'll try to, we'll move to Georgia and I'll try to practice law again. Just give me a year to see if it could possibly work. But we got seduced into what really was a fleshly thing. 
and this one's church is 10,000, and this one's 12,000, and this one's, you know, it wasn't satellites then. The big thing now is you got to have a bunch of satellites. You know, you got to have your face spread out all over, you know. And then guys that are just believed that God called them to a little church in a small town are just failures. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. You know what? God calls us each to a purpose and a plan. And there's a, the only person we need to please is him. Well, maybe our wives. But I think it's ruined. That's too strong. I think it's damaged the work of the church. And it's caused churches to not be cooperative because they're too competitive. Because you can't do both. If I got to get my numbers up so big that I can post it somewhere and talk about it and be somebody, then I can't dare help you. I need to take yours. These false teachers argued that, that their skills and their gifts were superior to Paul's. And Paul responded. Jump down to 11. I'm going to pick this one up in verse 5. But I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles who teach such things. I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. See, Paul said that such comparisons prove nothing. And, and they're of no value because, because really they just appeal to the flesh. You know, they, they're people's preferences and opinions. But what about God's calling? What about God's authority? And Paul knew that his calling and authority came from God. But God didn't make him physically impressive. He didn't make him extremely eloquent and polished in his speech. He just made him his faithful servant. Have we discovered who God's called us to be and where we're supposed to serve and how we're supposed to function? Are we always looking around to see who has more? Who has more likes? Who has more followers? Who has more of whatever? A bigger business. Those of you that are businessmen, if you're always looking at the guy down the road, you're just sure to be miserable. Just... You know, God gave me a field to plow and a people to lead and I have the same God to pray and that's what I'm going to do as long as I'm here. In verse 13, we will not boast about things done outside our area of authority. This is really interesting, isn't it? God told him, go to Corinth. God told Paul, go to Corinth. We'll boast only what's happened within the boundaries of the work God has given us which includes our working with you. You know, when I came to plant here, before I came, I actually was invited by a group of churches here and, and predominantly First Baptist Malden to come in this community because I don't think it's honorable to go in and damage a church. And so we had their invitation. And as long as I've been here, when we've tried to uh, hire anyone, 
who is from the upstate or the region, I've always called the pastor and said, may we interview? And I don't think that's done. I think churches, unfortunately, rely on recruiting people from other churches and musicians and I don't think that's honorable and I don't think it's what the scripture says. I think we need to know where God's called us and we need to serve right there. Paul considered the Corinthian church to be his God-given ministry. He was sent by God to be the founder and he was working where God wanted him to work. You know, we, a couple of times we've helped churches get started and one of our standards was always, we'll support you if you go in an area where there's not a similar church. But we're not going to support you to go next door to a place where there's a faithful man, a faithful person who's leading from the Bible and you're just sure to split people, siphon off people. We never have done that. I don't, I don't think that's what God has called us. And you see in Paul's teaching here, he said, Paul called me here and I've worked right here. Verse 14, we're not reaching beyond these boundaries when we claim authority over you as if we never visited you. For if we were the first to travel all the way to Corinth with the good news of Christ, for we were the first to travel all the way to Corinth with the good news of Christ you know, on his second missionary journey. Nor do we boast and claim credit for the work someone else has done. See, Paul did not take credit for the work other men have done. He didn't interfere with churches that other missionaries were working with. He, and he expected others to respect the work that he had. Because especially in a church, when he's having to confront people, they needed to be confronted. But see, if, there's, if these people are taught that if you say anything to me, I'm just gonna bounce out, then you can't, you can't confront issues. You can't deal with the hard issues that he was trying to do. But what had happened, Paul built this church. He taught them for 18 months. Corinth was a prosperous town. There was, some, there was some level of financial strength in this church. And so these Judaizers, rather than going to a different place and starting a church, they descended on this Corinthian church and they attempted to recruit those people to follow them instead of following Paul. And he said this at verse 15, instead, we hope that your faith will grow so that the boundaries of our work among you will be extended. See, Paul's ambition wasn't that he could plant a whole bunch of churches. What he had hoped was that he had invested enough in these people with his time with them, but also with his letters of guidance, that they would grow spiritually and their ministries would expand, which would expand his. You see what I'm saying? Because his children. And so God's called us right here. But what are we doing in this community? You see what I'm saying? We don't need another building somewhere. What we need is all of us to be motivated to reach people who don't have a church. 
Or maybe they were in a church and because of some sin, they embarrassed themselves and left. Or they never went. Get them. I always say, don't bring people from other churches. Go find the person that needs a church. The person that doesn't know the Savior. The person that's made a mistake and needs some grace of forgiveness. Go get them. How about it? Will you do it? The field is white with harvest. That's how we expand. Is we lead people to Christ. And you know what? The more that are converted, the more the community and the culture will change. Verse 16, then we will be able to go and preach the good news in other places far beyond you where no one else is working. Then there will be no question about our boasting about work done in someone else's territory. As the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. And when people commend themselves, it doesn't count for much. The important thing is for the Lord to commend them. Is the Lord commending our lives individually, personally? Is the Lord commending the work of our church? Well, the work of our church is the work of us individually, isn't it? So is the Lord pleased with our efforts? Are we engaged in spiritual warfare? Are you engaged in spiritual warfare? Will you use the the spiritual weapons of warfare so that God will be pleased with your efforts and pleased with your life? Y'all, let's pray. I appreciate you so much trying to pray five minutes every morning. And let's pray to, that, that, that we would be bold in spreading good news, bold in promoting biblical guidance. So let's continue to pray, but let's, let's especially all pray for revival and pray against cultural corruption because the battle will be won with us on our knees. But I don't care if you pray laying flat down in your bed, just keep praying. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. And I ask you to pray for our pastors, for our pastors to lead with conviction and to lead with courage. I want you to pray for a newly ordained leader in our church, Stuart Mathis. Now, now Stuart... Y'all say, well, we know this guy. Well, Stuart's been working with children for seven years in our church. He now is the adult discipleship associate and he's been ordained as a pastor. He's really been serving as a pastor for years, but we uh, recognize that officially. Our leadership did our, our trustees and lead pastors. So we, adore, uh, we uh, ordained him recently. But Stuart's been in our church. His wife, Jackie, is. His, his daughter, Samantha, is. So I want you to remember him in your prayers as well, okay? Give him a good start, yeah. <laughs> care volunteers will be at the front. They'll be in the care connection room across the concourse. 
Father, I pray. Y'all stand up, if you will. I'm dismissing you. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray for boldness in each person. I pray for conviction so that each one would know what he or she believes. That each one would have an intimate contact with you and they wouldn't be in doubt. They can hear your voice. That they would have the courage to speak humbly and gently. And Lord, that you would bless their efforts by causing many to turn to you either in repentance or in original faith. In Christ's name we pray, amen.